Good morning. It is October 20th in the morning, and I'm here with Dr. Tate. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Tate, right now. I'm going to kick off by reading your bio, and then um, we'll just have a good conversation. How does that sound? Sounds great. All right. So, Professor Derek Tate is the professor of computer science and engineering at Sattler College. He received a BSME degree from Rice University, and his SM and PhD degrees in mechanical engineering are from MIT in the areas of manufacturing and design. I'm going to pause. Can you tell us what BSME, what is uh, that? That's Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. Good. And then SM. Master of Science. And then I think PhD is familiar in life. Yeah. Prior to joining Sattler College, he was Senior Associate Professor at, okay. Xi'an Jiaotong, Liverpool. One more time. Xi'an Jiaotong, Liverpool. University and founding head of the Department of Industrial Design. Dr. Tate has also held positions as assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at Texas Tech University and associate professor of Beijing one more time? Be- Beijing Jiaotong. University. Yeah. Uh, thanks for helping with the pronunciation there. Professor Tate's industrial experience includes working as a manager of applications engineering at Axiomatic Design Software, Inc., a Boston-based so- s- startup company. And then I'm going to read this next part, too. Did I? That's fine. Do you want to add or subtract anything from that that initial bio there? No, no, that, that's fine. Okay. It may come up again, some of it. But. Yeah, that, hopefully we can hone in on it. Uh Professor Tate has been involved with Christian groups in China and America. He aims to impact society by bringing design thinking to areas of strategic importance and to integrate an understanding of human flourishing into the design of new products and services. His calling is to make space for Christians in academia, to bring Christian ideas into academic discourse, and to mentor a new generation of Christian researchers and professionals. Thanks so much for being here with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I thought... I thought we could just start by, I know that's that bio is very condensed in, in academic in nature. Right. Would you mind just sharing a little bit more about your life story, about you know where you were born and how you got to where you are now so we, so we can understand your, your trajectory and chronology there a little bit? Um, I mean, my, I don't know, career trajectory has been, I guess, a little bit unusual in the sense that, as you can tell from the bio, I've been kind of all over the place geographically. Right. Um, and I guess growing up is a little bit like that as well. So, um, yeah, grew up in the South, went to college in Houston, and came to Boston for grad school, and then left Boston in 2001, went to Colorado, Beijing, Lubbock, and then back to China and Suzhou, and then here. So I came back to Boston in 2019. That's right. So I was gone for about 18 years. Um, and then I've kind of moved around in terms of dis- discipline, in terms of what I've been teaching, because I shifted from mechanical engineering to industrial design, and then now I'm doing computer science. Um, but th- there are, I guess, some themes and connections in there that kind of explain how that happened uh, in terms of the um, program I was doing at Texas Tech, for example, was a master's and PhD of transdisciplinary design hmm. process and systems. And so I had to lot of students that had backgrounds in software engineering and uh, as, as well as other engineering disciplines. And so then I ended up with a bunch of publications that were related to artificial intelligence and data mining and natural language processing and things like that, mm-hmm. as well as my experience working for the software company previously. So when you look at my you know CV or, or right. bio, it's kind of all over the place. 
Um, but the themes that tie it together, one, I guess, is this emphasis on being cross-disciplinary. Um, the other would be doing things related to entrepreneurship, you know, whether it's the startup institutions I've been working for or trying to connect entrepreneurs with the university and design. Um, and then the other would be, um, you know, this focus on kind of design thinking and applying that to, you know, general problems in society. Great. Yeah. Thanks for Thanks for explaining that. Let's let's hone in on that that startup, <laughs> right? That startup word, because as I understand, you've worked at multiple startup universities, correct? And I'd I'd love to hear you talk about your experience and and your thinking around startup universities, right? So, so I guess the reason I went into engineering in the first place uh, when I was in high school, my goal was to create a like create a car company. Right. Right. So I wanted to be somebody like John DeLorean or Preston Tucker, you know, because um, I had an interest in, you know, I don't know, cars and restoring old cars and, and things like that. And so then I studied mechanical engineering at Rice as an undergrad. Um, and then when I graduated, you know, I realized, well, I don't really know any more about starting a car company than when I started. Right. And so I continued on to, to grad school um, and did stuff in design and manufacturing. Um, but after graduating, I worked for a startup company that did software related to um, the design theory that I studied for my PhD. So it was with my advisor and some other people. Um, and so that was uh, Axiomatic Design Software. And then after that, I went to work for some folks who were trying to start a university in Beijing. And we had a Chinese partner school, Capital University of Economics and Business, and we had a U.S. partner school, which was Indiana Wesleyan. All right. Um, and so we were going to operate, I guess, as a branch campus of Indiana Wesleyan. And the name of the institution was uh, Jingmei University, Jing from Beijing and then Mei from Meiguo, which is America. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got a license to organize the institution and we got a license to operate the institution. Um, and I was working as special academic assistant to the president, you know, working on accreditation, curriculum, and, and things like that. Unfortunately, the gentleman that had the vision for that, this uh, guy named Dan Harrison, uh, got brain cancer and oh. passed away. So that didn't, did not end up working out. Um, and so I ended up going to Beijing and teaching at a regular Chinese university, which you, you mentioned the bio was uh, Beijing Jiaotong University. Right. So I was there for two years. Um, and so that's, you know, I guess a startup company, startup university. Uh, and then the second one was, second startup university was the Xi'an Jiaotong University. So that started in 2006 in Suzhou. Um, I joined the institution in 2013. Um, and so I was the founding head of the Department for Industrial Design. And we grew from 26 students to more than 300 students in the department. Um, encompassing, I guess, bachelor's, master's, and, and PhD students, mostly undergrad, but some grad students. Right. Um, and the institution grew from, I think, an initial number, and I never saw, like, officially, it was either 147 or 153 students the first year. And by the time I left in 2019, we had a quota from the Chinese government for, like, 15,000 students. And so that counted both the students that were on campus in Suzhou and the students had the option to go to Liverpool for their last two years of undergrad studies, which about low 40% of students would go. That's in German. In, in Liverpool, in the UK. In the UK, okay. Yeah. And so uh, 
Anyway, I counted both those students. Um, so we had like a large number of students. It was quite successful. Um, so it was, it was kind of a good institution for the Chinese students because a lot of their parents wanted the students to get international experience, you know. And so it's like, okay, you can go to this, you know, university. You have an opportunity to study in an international environment and be a, a global citizen. Um, but you could do the first two years in China so you didn't have to go too far away from home, right. make sure you understood the language, and then you could go to Liverpool if, if you wanted. Um, in my department, I guess, with the first group of industrial design students, 75% went to Liverpool. But by the time um, I left, the, the students liked our program better than what they were going to do in Liverpool. Um, so it was probably reversed where you know, only a quarter of the students would go to Liverpool for the last two years. Got it. Uh, and then all the masters and PhD students were just on campus with us. But you, the students got two degrees. So they got a degree from XJTLU, which was accredited by the Chinese Ministry of Education in uh, Jiangsu province. And then uh, they got a Liverpool degree through Liverpool's accreditation. So I guess my next question is, how does that all, how, how does that translate over here to to Boston and why another, <laughs> sort of another startup university versus a more established university? What what are some of the the lines of thinking well, there. I mean, my whole sort of interest is is in, I guess, kind of a startup uh, environment right. and kind of creating new things. So um kind of fits with my interest there. Um, and I guess when I heard about Sattler and Sattler's missions, uh, mission, it, it seemed like a good fit for things I was interested in doing. Um, I guess my wife and I and our family were looking to come back to the States. And so... Um, you know, Boston was one of the two areas that we were considering in, in terms of like if we could rank wherever we could go in the U.S., Boston or, or probably Houston would be mm -hmm. kind of the two first choices. Um, of course, I was looking, you know, all over. Yeah. And you you mentioned a few times this idea of cross di a cross disciplinary approach, and right. I'd, I'd love to hear you think about that in your current role with you're the the head of the computer science. Uh, major here, and right. we we sort of do have a cross disciplinary mind of thinking about things, but in particular, computer science and Christianity; those two terms, sometimes that people associate them, and sometimes people don't associate them. So I'm, I'm right. curious on how you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one benefit of being at a, a startup institution that you know it's pretty small, and you kind of know everybody, and it's kind of a tight knit community. So you have. Right. I guess a lot more informal interaction, and it's a lot easier to build some of those cross-disciplinary connections. Uh, but I think if you look at you know the CS students in uh, the students in computer science at Sattler and kind of the things they're doing for their capstone projects, they are all you know pretty much interested in cross-disciplinary topics. Um, and I mean, you can kind of look at the variety. Um, you know, at, at Chatbot for apologetics. Um, a app for, um, I don't know, building community um, in the city, you know, how to like facilitate, you know, interaction and, you know, during the day and interacting with communities and, and stuff um, in, in an urban context. Um, and then um, doing a uh, literacy app for building like an app for building sort of competence and literacy in, mm -hmm. in Hebrew. Um, and then like and all, last year, like all of these are capstones that have happened here at, yeah, yeah. here at Sattler. Right? Our, our 
That was like right. the first group of students. And then last year we, we had a girl that did a um, interface for a microfinance app for, mm-hmm. you know, a missions organization. And then a uh, using uh, word embeddings for semantic search of ancient Greek texts. Um, so, as I said, they're all kind of cross-disciplinary and kind of integrating the student's interest in, you know, the church, community, their faith, biblical mm-hmm. languages with something to do right. with CS. I mean, um, you know, I, I had, um, I don't know, opportunities to collaborate or communicate with, you know, faculty in business. Um, you know, in principle, you can do collaboration with biology. We haven't had students that did that yet, but that's certainly an area that would work as well. So um, pretty much all of the other programs here would be something that you could work into a computer science capstone in one way or another. And then just for for people that don't know what what is a cap what is a capstone and and why is it I know that word means different things to different people my my capstone was a very small part of my college experience and I think it's a little bit different well, how, like how small three credits okay <laughs> so it's three credits and just basically a class that and then and so okay. it's it's a it's sort of a different experience here and I'd I, Maybe you can t- talk about how we leverage right. that. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I guess, got a lot of experience with capstones kind of across the different institutions that I've been at. Right. So typically in engineering, uh, like where I was at Texas Tech, um, engineering students have a capstone that's usually two semesters and like three credits per semester. Um can't say like 100% all institutions, but that would be kind of the typical iteration mm-hmm. of it. And so my role when I was at Texas Tech was to usually do the first semester of that that uh, sequence um, because we had like a thousand students in mechanical engineering. So we were always looking for kind of new projects and we had like multiple sections of that going on every semester. Um, so I would do like typically... I don't know, like one grad course and one capstone course, like in the fall. And then in the spring, I'd have like two capstone sections, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd have like 30 students in there. I had as many as like 40, which is really too many. Uh, but we were always like looking for topics. Um, but the first semester is like the students are defining a project um, that they're going to work on. And in engineering, typically it's a group project. And so the normal number would be about four students. You could have projects with more, like five or six, um, but then you end up with kind of the free rider problem, right? If you mm-hmm. have that many. Um, and so where we were in Lubbock, there were not like a lot of uh, major industries in Lubbock. Lubbock's a right. city of about 200,000 people. And so you've got some number of hospitals, so healthcare, you've got the university. Um, there's a lot of ranching and farming around. So like cattle ranching, cotton farming. Um, there's some energy, not really oil production right in Lubbock, but once you got outside of town and then a lot of like wind farms and, and things like that. Um, so we didn't have like a lot of companies that you could talk to and say, okay, well, you know, you know, Ford or GM or somebody like that. Okay. Give us some projects for students to work on. And so a lot of our projects would either come from like other faculty, which is where the cross-disciplinary um, thing comes in, or the students would come up with topics themselves, um, or we had some like entrepreneurs 
in kind of West Texas generally that uh, had topics that they were interested in. And so um, for me, it was good for the students to have a project um, to be, say, entrepreneurial where it's like, okay, here's somebody that got an idea for a project and they want to d develop that and make something, test it, see is that a reasonable idea or not. So it's kind of low risk but possibly high reward, right? Right. So it's like, okay, you know, the students aren't getting any money for it. They're getting credit for their capstone. They're getting experience developing it. But they could start then with, you know, interacting with users and trying to understand what the needs were. Um, so the way I would teach the class, they would do a lot of interaction with users, you know, doing like interviews or talking to people, defining the needs. And then there's different tools that you can learn in design, which maybe we'll get into design, kind of dealing with brainstorming or resolving contradictions in your requirements and things like that. And they can basically take the whole process and start at the very beginning and then develop into something that they can physically they can physically realize, you know, at the end that you can, you know, touch, you've got something tangible. Um, so examples of projects that the students did were things like um, from like some of the entrepreneurs like Papercrete. There was mm -hmm. a guy that had a company for um, ready mix cement, but he wanted to do something that's more sustainable. So could you take, you know, recycled paper and make that into a block that you could use in building buildings, houses, whatever. Um, and so that was an interdisciplinary project where uh, you had, you know, mechanical engineering students working, but then some students in like civil engineering or architecture or other disciplines could look at that and say, okay, let's look at this, not just on the mechanical property of this block and the recipe, although you do that part, but also like how would this fit in kind of the larger context. Another example was a compressor of block. So there's a guy that had a uh, extruder for making compressor with block. He had a little prototype that made a block that was, I don't know, six inches by nine mm -hmm. inches, and you could make a block. And we ended up, you know, building equipment for that that made a block that was like a foot by a foot and a half, and you could make it whatever length you wanted, so like 10 feet long. And so you could use like a backhoe or a crane or something. But his goal was to take that sustainable material and make it competitive with timber frame construction. So okay. you could have like a crew of, you know, six people and you could, you know, build the walls for a house in a day, basically, um, so that it wouldn't be something that you'd only use for rich people making, like in New Mexico or some place where they've got a history of adobe construction, or in third world countries where the labor costs are much cheaper, but you could actually make it, you know, competitive with timber frame construction in the U.S. And if you make the blocks without a, um, a stabilizer, then it's just soil and water right. and then at the end of life you can just tear it up and put it back in the ground mm -hmm. you know so that would be some you know entrepreneurial type projects but sometimes the students would come up with you know projects themselves like one student was interested in a uh, clutch for a fixed gear bicycle so it was just something he was interested in you know or another student wanted to do um, a uh, camera jib that you could use for video production but he wanted something that you could set up and take down with one person and he could throw in the back of a pickup truck and, you know, take it to some site and use it for, you know, videoing things. So so, so anyway, you, you kind of have an idea and then you want to make something with it and test and see is this something, you know, reasonable that, that you want to do. So the students in Texas Tech did that over two semesters. Right. Um, in China, the capstone projects were individual projects because that was a requirement in, in from the government in terms of how they run the – final year projects, but the students had a lot of other opportunities prior to their senior year to work in groups. So they weren't like missing the 
group interaction uh, on their other projects. Whereas at Texas Tech, you know, the Capstone project was probably the first time that they did anything in design, really. Uh, and so it was kind of a different experience than a lot of the other engineering courses where it's a lecture and solving problems and, and, and things like that. And, and so here at Sattler, the capstone sequence in computer science is uh, 12 credits, same as the other right. programs. Um, and it's divided up so that in the junior year, the students work on develop, kind of learning some tools related to the capstone and defining the problem and coming up with the proposal. And then they have three credits in the fall of their senior year and six credits in the spring, okay. um, which is more focused on like the implementation. And so they're able to kind of like uh, – percolate and kind of define their topic and maybe even shift around some. I mean, some of our students kind of went off in quite different directions mm -hmm. than they originally intended. Um, and so it gives them more, more time to develop it and really produce something that they can have for their portfolio. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of a long answer, but just out of curiosity, Graham, what are you doing for your cap? We're joined by a computer science student. What are you doing for your capstone? I'm working with an organization called Faith Tech. Okay. Um, that brings Christian technologists together in community and they volunteer to uh, build things, uh, work with technology to help the church and uh, the poor. That's awesome. And how does, so there's a lot of cross discipline there because I'm assuming a lot of that project isn't, I'm going to use the word in the weeds and compute in the weeds in computer science is that is that true or false or like in the the tell me about it yeah there's it's very cross-disciplinary uh, at least at this stage um there's a lot of organizational work and um also the organization has a focus on theology right. around how should the church think about technology and what is a distinctly christian way to create and use technology do you have any comments on that capstone in particular or faith tech? I think, I think faith, we, we, that group at their meeting here, they launched the Boston initiative and they're right on, on campus here. Anything else about, about um, that? I mean, so, so far, I guess we've had two in-person meetups here at Sattler. Okay. One was in January and one was the end of September. Next one will, will be this coming January. Okay. Um, so we have a Boston, I guess, lead team for organizing the Faith Tech activities and trying to build a community. We had, I don't know, 35 people, I think, at both meetings. Um, and so um, Graham and I are working on the labs portion of the right. of the Faith Tech uh, activities. So the way their groups work, they've got meetups, which are kind of networking, dinner, speaker, um, and then you've got labs where people develop projects similar to the capstone, right. you know, people working in, in technology potentially. Um, and then they, as Graham indicated, have maybe some other activities looking at, uh, I don't know, bigger picture issues, ethics related to technology and how that relates to theology and things like that. We've got some different ideas on how we can, um, I guess, grow the group here and Graham's contributing to that. Great. And then I wanted to sort of focus in on a word that comes out in your bio and in the way that you talk. And yeah. I mean, guessing most humans probably don't think about the word design the same way that you do. 
So t tell me about what design mean, what are design tools, and how does it relate to to all of the, <laughs> to everything you're talking about? Um, yeah, so design, I, I would say, is a sort of fundamental human activity. Okay. Right? And people, like you said, don't necessarily think of it that way. They think of, okay, well, design, you know, maybe sketching a car or right. something, right? It's It's kind of an artistic activity, but not necessarily something that everybody's doing. Um, and, and that can be part of design, certainly. Um, but uh, like a, an example that um, a gentleman I know from Worcester Polytechnic Institute uses uh, is like designing your vacation. Right. Right. So design- Or like a honeymoon or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So, so design is anytime you're mapping from <laughs> what you want to do to how you're going to do it. Sorry, I'm just sorry. Graham looked, gave me a funny look over there. Sorry. Yeah. It's a, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. So you're going from what to how. Okay. And anything you can represent as mapping from what you want to do to how you're going to do it is a design problem. So like I said, it could be your, your vacation, could be honeymoon, um, but you know, could be a car, it could be a computer, could be whatever. Um, it, you can define it, I guess, more formally as like developing and or selecting means to satisfy objectives subject to constraints. Mm -hmm. So you've got three things there, right? The objective, what you're trying to do, you've got your means, um, which, you know, could be like the car, the sketch of the car and, and so on. And then you've got constraints, which would be limits on what would be an acceptable solution. So the constraints would basically say, okay, certain things are, you know, out of bounds. It could be too expensive. It could take too long. Um, has to fit with like an existing system. Okay, you got to use you know this port, and you got to plug into to the the existing uh, you know USB port or something. So that would limit your your choices. Right. But anything you can represent with those different pieces uh, would be a design problem. So very very cross disciplinary approach to it. And then the other word I want to focus on, and then I'll try to connect them here, is yeah. the word human. The term human flourishing. So. Graham actually mentioned it a little bit here too in faith tech that there's this idea that there's poverty exists in the world and there are things that we can be doing towards moving away from poverty towards human flourishing mm -hmm. and across the board here. So tell me a little bit about human flourishing and then I'll try to connect design and human flourishing together and maybe loop in computer science as a way to think about doing that. Right. So for um, design, I guess. Uh, I would say, in terms of, I guess, my approach to design, um, some things to think about. One, it's like a specific discipline. So as you mentioned, there are different tools that you can use in the design process. So there would right. be like a sort of process that you would follow. Um, there's tools in Axmed Design, which was the, the name of the software company and, and kind of what I did for my PhD. Basically, the axioms would help you identify or recognize good design. There's other tools like the uh, theory of a bit of problem solving, um, which comes from the former Soviet Union. It's like TRIZ. that um, looks at how do you resolve conflict or contradiction. And uh, it, the goal is to be, uh, you know, more creative. Um, there's other, other tools as well. Um, so anyway, design is kind of like its own discipline that you can apply to many different areas. The second would be that you focus on users, which is where the human flourishing comes right. in. Um, and I guess there's not, I just, I mean, I guess human would maybe be the 
kind of broadest term that you could think about there. When you think of like users of a design, a piece of software or something, it's like the person that's like actually, you know, typing in things and, and you know, actually making use of it. And in, you know, say business, you could maybe distinguish that from the customer. So somebody making the decisions about which product or which software to buy may not be the person that's the end user. Mm -hmm. um, and you could do other, other, I guess, categorizations of users like lead users, which would be people that want to adopt a new technology first because they stand to get some, you know, significant benefit from adopting that technology. Um, but, you know, if you... You know, I guess if you um, come up with a design or product without really thinking about the users or really understanding their context, then it's going to be hard to have something that's really successful. Um, so you really need to take into account, you know, what the product needs to do, which would be the functionality, which mm -hmm. would come from, you know, the users in, in kind of this broadest uh, sense, um, including other, you know, stakeholders and the company manufacturing it or whoever is involved with it. As well as kind of the economics of it, is it something that is going to be able to be sustainable based on the the economic aspect of it, um, and then also sort of environment and sustainability kind of point of view. So you really have to look at any design from kind of multiple perspective perspectives, and uh, if you don't consider all those, then uh, you know you could come up with something, but nobody wants to use it, or you could right. come up with it, but it's not you know economically feasible. And you you see that a lot with uh, technologies today where okay, companies are losing money on, you know, for example, like AI tools that mm -hmm. people are using, you know, online. Um, I mean, they see it as an investment. Okay, people are using this and we're getting data and we're seeing what applications and stuff of it are, but it's not something that can necessarily be maintained at the level that it currently is um, indefinitely because, you know, each time somebody's using it, potentially the company's losing money. Right. Right. So you got you to think about kind of all these different aspects. But uh, as I said, the goal is not just thinking, well, can we do something, but is it something that we, you know, really should be doing or want to do and how does it contribute to, like you said, human flourishing at the sort of individual level or um, in terms of like interaction with other people and kind of group level or even at like a societal level. And then help me think about a little bit there's a pool of like a, in a hypothetical or a real situation, there's a pool of young people, let's just say going into a college and they're considering what to invest themselves in. <laughs> let's just even say the Sattler environment, computer science, history, business, right. biology. And usually there's a problem that somebody cares about a little bit more than another problem. Right. Why, why is studying computer science a compelling way to <laughs> think about, addressing a particular issue let's even use like classic classic issues we're dealing with with let's just say global poverty right. or maybe even now here we we see even like uh, clashes political clashes polarization there's a lot of different right. ar arenas happening and rolling out in, ahead of us why is computer science a compelling field for christians to 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 use to address problems a kind of a big question right um yeah i mean i guess from my perspective it would be sort of the ideal right. you know place to to situate yourself in being able to address these problems i mean at, at sattler in particular there's like a large core curriculum that everybody's taking um and so sattler has the cohort model where the students 
come in together, um, focus in on these core courses, get kind of a body of knowledge related to biblical languages, humanities, Western heritage, and right. classics, and 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 so on. Uh, but then, you know, once you have that foundation, you can think, well, how do I use that mm. to do something? And the sort of things our students have been doing both for their capstones and then maybe after they leave Sattler, um, you know, address some of these areas that connect with technology and their other interests like, you know, their, their faith. Um, so, for example, like the microfinance app that student did last year, right? So that would be a way to actually physically do something on the ground related mm -hmm. to dealing with poverty and, you know, refugees and, and things like that, where you're promoting um, some, I guess, educational materials related to finances, saving money. And then there was an app that was helping this organization um, uh, implement their teaching and, and plans and stuff. And they were in, I forget, it was like 15 countries or, or something, you know, that, that they have operations in. So here you're doing something you know, right. very tangible. Um, I guess the other thing to think about it, um, you know, it's like you're graduating, you know, you need to get a job. Technology obviously is something that everybody, um, it, you know, pervades everybody's life these days. Mm -hmm. And so by understanding technology, it's going to help with some of these issues that you mentioned, you know, whether it's polarization or political conflict and so on, because technology has a role to play in those. And if you're going to really address them, it's like you have to think, okay, well, how are people, you know, interacting with social media, you know, for example, and how, you know, what effect do, do sort of patterns that people have of these interactions relate then to increasing or decreasing polarization? Likewise with uh, other types of conflict, mm -hmm. you know, there's a role for technology. And if People don't, uh, I guess, consider the technology aspect of it. It's going to be hard to, you know, really come up with solutions to these bigger questions. So it's not to say technology is going to like be the only solution, right? right? But it's it needs to be kind of a part of the, the broader conversation. Right. So um, I remember there was like a report from the National Association Association of Engineering, yeah, or National Academy of Engineering. They were talking about recruiting more people into engineering. Right. And and I, I worked with a TSTEM center at Texas Tech that did outreach to different high schools and kind of promoted engineering. And, you know, they pointed out that, okay, the way that you recruit people to be medical doctors is just, okay, you know, you want to help people. You're right. going to help them get well. You right. know, you're going to treat them, you know, cure their illnesses or develop cures for diseases and so on. But the way people typically think about engineering, like high school teachers, they're like, oh, okay, well, you're good at math. You're good at science. You know, maybe you should think about engineering. Right. And it's like, well, if you're good at math or you're good at science, you know, maybe you should be a, you know, mathematician or a scientist, right? Right. I mean, the goal for engineering is to actually, you know, create things that are going to meet people's needs, right? And so it's, you're going to somehow improve people's lives by the things that you're you're creating, you know, whether it's, you know, a person individually or part of like a larger effort in most cases, but it's the goal is to, you know, help people's lives be better. Um, and I think Sattler provides a good context for wrestling with some of these issues in terms of, um, you know, thinking about the impacts. Okay. If I make this, what are the social impacts? Right. And, you know, how can we kind of learn from 
past technologies and the way that uh, they've impacted people and society and how can we make better decisions, you know, moving forward with technology. All right. Graham, has anything piqued your interest that you think we should talk about? If not, I, I got some more things to talk about. Anything? Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> the So the, the next sort of topic I want to explore, it's very, very related. When I look at technology and science, there's a perception that it's, I'll just say secular, secularizing at a very rapid pace. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at the largest companies in the world, just say Google, um, right. Amazon, uh, Apple, so even throw in Elon Musk companies, X, Tesla, right. they appear to be very secular <laughs> and right. serving sort of a secular purpose. What is the role of the Christian? <laughs> Is the role of the Christian to create a new company that stands for something different? Is it to try to innovate within the existing sphere or is it maybe that's not the right way to think about it? How do we think about the secularizing environment and sort of holding to values while <laughs> while leveraging technology? Right. I mean, I don't think there's like one yeah. answer, right? I mean, it's going to depend on the individual student. Um so I think, you know, that, for example, the capstone project and internships give the students a chance to kind of explore their options. You know, uh, we have connections with a, a number of, you know, companies and organizations where students have done internships, some, you know, in the U.S., some internationally as they're doing their bachelor's uh, degrees. Uh, and then students have worked with different outside organizations for their uh, their capstones. Um I mean, I guess once they graduate and they start working, um, probably most cases they'll go to work for an existing company, you know, whether it's small or large. Um, but maybe eventually they'll have some ideas where they could create their own company. So, right. I mean, I think there's a room for, I think there's room for any and all of that, um, you know, when students are thinking about how they, you know, want to apply their lives and what they want to do with their, with their degrees. But I think something like Faytech that, Graham is involved with. I think that's one of the goals of Paytech is to kind of bring like-minded people together and to think, okay, maybe in my job I'm doing something pretty secular, but if I, you know, work together with some other Christians that I meet through some networking event meetup, um, we can develop something that has, you know, maybe a more Christian application that would be something that would be good for the church. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, but there's not like one answer, obviously. And then just to sort of nail, sort of lay this to rest, if somebody is particularly interested in the church, let's even say biblical missions or different ministries, right? computer science is a viable way to fulfill those callings. Um, <laughs> right. And I, I don't think the, the, the path is very well worn or well walked of people using those two together. So... Is there is there sort of anything that you'd like to see happening to to have more people walking down this this road? We we think about it a lot as how do we drum up interest in mm-hmm. computer science with right. a traditional audience that might not have imagined that path forward in their life. Um, well, I mean, again, like we've got students that are working with different right. Christian organizations, uh, you know, for their internships and projects. Right. Um, 
And after they graduate, I know some of the students are interested in maybe living overseas and continuing, you know, to do things for the church uh, in other countries. Um, so that, that, that's one thing. I've heard that computer science is like a door into other countries that you wouldn't traditionally have, right? With a non, if you're non, have a non-technical experience, is that is that accurate? Yeah, that it would probably help in right. getting visas and things like that. Okay. Um, I mean, there are like Christian organizations that do things, you know, that are very related to computer science, like you know, Wycliffe Bible translators right. or somebody like that, right? They have a lot of software. They develop, uh, I guess, different fonts for displaying, you know, Greek text and, and other things, um, as well as like tools for, you know, doing interviews of native speakers and transcribing that, you know, using international phonetic alphabet and right. other things, right? They're very, very technical. Um, but, uh, you know, even just the skills that, you know, being able to like, you know, talk to users and or talk to people and kind of understand their problems and things like that could be used in a context that's, you know, quite different than, you know, developing the Mm -hmm. a piece of software, right? It would be kind of a general life skill, um, some of these things related to design. And I do think there could be a role for making connections with like existing churches um, to kind of bring in some knowledge of technology mm. to these churches where maybe congregations have questions, okay, well, how do we deal with technology? Or we have folks in the congregation have this or that or the other question, right, about technology and its impact on right. the church or people's lives and stuff. And I do think, you know, doing activities to sort of promote sort of awareness um, and knowledge about technology among existing congregations would be something that would be beneficial. Um, right. Is, is, there a, is there a product that you currently use or maybe a software or an app that is an example of the power of leveraging this. I have a couple in the back of my mind, but that sort of have have made a meaningful difference in people's lives. Is there anything come to immediately to your mind? Um, I mean, why don't you share yours? The, so the Bi the Bible app is a really interesting one that mm -hmm. the U version put it on. I think it's based out of the church. Uh, I forget the Oklahoma or something. A big church down there, and then we have all our students use. Logos or Logos Bible software, which right. leverages, it's a pretty incredible technology that leverages computer science software. But then yeah. the user experience, I think, is one of the most important things about that. So it's really interesting how you have to design it well so that it actually serves the purpose. Right. The, what, what other one? Do you have any that come to mind, Graham? I use PrayerMate, which is an app to remind you to pray and help you to organize prayer lists and things like that. Pray may remember is a, an app that helps people memorize scripture. Right. We even tried one. We actually tried one time to design an app for our discipleship program for habit tracking. Right. Someday it might get launched. It's sitting on a shelf, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the computer shelf, so to speak. But I, I think it's good to kind of think about, Hey, these are examples of, of ways that this has happened before. Does anything come to your mind or I? I mean, yeah, I guess I have. You've, some, already, I already, you've my, already mentioned myself, some of them. You know, um, yeah, I guess for, you know, doing prayer at different times during the day and things like that. Um, I guess the sort of things that I tend to use online tend to maybe be a little more niche or whatever, but right. maybe somebody from 
uh, you know, a computer science background working with databases. There's a, a website with a guy that's like doing his own translation of, you know, the Old Testament, you know, kind right. of learning Hebrew and then kind of looking, I guess, very rigorously at, okay, well, what's sort of this word in this context? And also, I think, trying to reproduce the original music that uh, would go along with the text from these different notes, notations that are in the manuscripts and stuff. It, I'm not musical, so I'm not sure. You don't want to sing. You don't want to sing one of the songs. I'm just kidding. No. Um, and then I did want to ask a little bit about sort of your international experience. You and you. Where did you meet your wife again? Uh, I mean, I met her online. Online, and she's from China. Yeah. And you two have managed to sort of live in China and in the U.S. and do you have any advice for people doing sort of cross-cultural relationships in, in church or beyond for for living in cities and stuff like that? Not really. I mean, I guess given our experience, you know, we uh, yeah, we we lived in Beijing, we were in Texas, Suzhou. Um, my wife's background is is a language teacher. Right. So the language, I guess, would be kind of a key part of. It. Unfortunately, you know, I can understand some Chinese if people are talking Chinese, but I can understand more than I can say. Right. Um, you know, but our kids are, are fluent in in Chinese, and so that helped when we went back to China. Um, they went to the local Chinese schools uh, for a while, um, and then you know, sort of being in China and kind of experiencing the culture there is different than, you know, just kind of hearing about it here. So right. kind of having opportunities to kind of experience both cultures and knowing the language and, and things like that, you know, is good for the family. Got it. Yeah. And then our audience, the people listening are just generally people subscribe to sort of our Sattler marketing lines of communication. And right. I think we have, there's a lot of people on that and we're not knowing who exactly it is. Is there anything else that you'd like to mentioned to anybody in the audience that we haven't talked about yet or not too much um yeah i mean we've been working on that project to look at Sattler's mission statement oh, right um so kind of a f focus on training graduates to uh um kind of strengthen communities whether they're parts of the community or building new communities um you know, looking at biblical languages, looking at sources of Christianity kind of throughout uh, history and um, an emphasis on holistic discipleship and kind of relational relationship building. Um, so I think Sattler is, has a, a very unique sort of niche that okay. they're fulfilling. And I think it's something that a lot of people would be uh, interested in, um, I guess, Unfortunately, um, people aren't as aware of it as, as right. they should be. You know, when you meet people like, oh, I didn't know there was a <laughs> college, you know, downtown Boston and, and so on. So uh, hopefully we can get the word out and, uh, you know, welcome people to come and visit, sit in on some computer science classes or other classes as well. And then is there any, is there anywhere that we can follow you, your, your work or anywhere that you point people to to? To sort of read about the things that you're passionate about, I don't know if. Yeah, not not really. No. Okay. Yeah, and then are any of those capstones listed online anywhere yet? I know the. I think some of the material is online. Yeah. Right. I think 
I'd love to point people to those in the, yeah. do we have show notes or something like that? Show notes, particularly, I, there's a few that the, the natural language processing one, I think is a really interesting one. Right. Not, not, they're all interesting, but I know I've, I've heard, hmm. I've heard some, a lot of excitement about, about looking that. And right. Well, he, he went to Bulgaria over the summer and presented right. a paper on what he'd done. So maybe we can link those. And for everybody listening, um, I'm going to close out unless there's anything else to, anything else to say. No, that's fine. Derek, Graham, anything else? All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being here. I know that, uh, it's a massive field and there's a lot to cover. So if you're interested in learning more, send us a note at info at sattler.edu. We'll put you in contact with Dr. Tate. And then also the next, some next events coming up. If you happen to be in Pennsylvania on November 3rd, <laughs> I'll be there giving a, uh, sort of a investing in service talk about how Sattler's really trying to shake up the tuition model and it's really good news i think for some future students and then also educators i think <laughs> all of this is means a lot in terms of designing institutions that work for people so we're trying right. hard to really make this uh an affordable and excellent experience not only affordable but trying hard to to look at how colleges use tuition so join me there and then beyond that keep your eyes peeled for some open houses in the spring and things like that Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Derek. Thank you.